0: This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you.
1: Opinions expressed throughout the broadcast day are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of this station, its staff, or underwriters. Time will be made available for other viewpoints. Thank you for joining us. And support for Cayman comes in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information is available at Syrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. And support for Redwood Community Radio comes from Knox Manufacturing, a Humboldt County business making Harvest Excel automated canopy greenhouses locally. Designed for light deprivation and solar powered, the Harvest Excel can be viewed at Sylvandale Gardens in the Meadows Business Park in Redway. More information can be found at harvestexcel.com. And in just a moment, we will have Ask Your Herb Doctor.
0: Well, welcome and thank you for joining us again this third Friday of the month. My name's Andrew Murray.
2: My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray.
0: Uh, every third Friday of the month, uh, we produce a program called Ask Your Herb Doctor, and uh, we are very pleased again this month to have Dr. Raymond Pete join us on the show to share in his wisdom, and this month's subject is going to be the uh, antioxidants, some of the myths about antioxidants, what antioxidants really do, uh, and how they're helpful, and how some of the history uh, of antioxidants has been skewed, and our current understanding of antioxidants has been misled uh, by the manufacturers uh, and other parties. So, uh, we're going to talk uh, about antioxidants and their role in health. I know we're coming into uh, the fall here, and as uh, the decreasing daylight hours, uh, etc., combine, uh, m- most people uh, are under an amount of stress. And uh, antioxidants, I think we all know them as. Anti-stress, or at least uh, free radical quenching. I think that's most of people's understanding of antioxidants. But we're going to explore antioxidants in more depth. Um, Okay, so people that are living in the area, it's a call-in show uh, from 7:30 until 8 o'clock. You're invited and welcome to call in uh, about this subject or any other questions you may have. Uh, The number, if you live in the area, is nine two three three nine one one. if if you live outside the area there's a toll free number you can call on that's one eight hundred five six eight three seven two three that's one eight hundred k m u d rad so well like I say, once again we're very pleased to have Dr. Raymond Pete with us to share his wealth of knowledge. Thank you for joining us dr Pete mm-hmm. Okay, so as usual, there may be people that haven't heard of you uh, and people that have just tuned in for the first time, perhaps. So um, I'd appreciate it if you'd let people know your academic and professional background so people can hear more about you.
3: Um, I uh, have taught uh, several universities um, various courses related to biology and biochemistry, for example, in Mexico. I taught immunology and intermediate uh, metabolism, uh, but uh, my research was in uh, reproductive aging at the University of Oregon, and my uh, dissertation advisor, Arnold Soderwald, uh happened to be a, a major figure in uh, vitamin E research. He found that uh, hamsters uh, remained fertile much longer if he gave them increasingly large doses of vitamin E, and although I didn't work uh, with vitamin E myself, uh, I, I, um, was, that was sort of the background for my research with estrogen, progesterone, and uh, oxidative metabolism.
0: Okay, so I guess, let's, um, I think probably what we should do, I think most people, myself included, have a oh, I don't know, I call it a a medical understanding of what we commonly know as antioxidants and their function in the body. And I know when we get going, um, you're going to describe some of the uh, ill effects that some antioxidants can have uh, because they can kind of work both ways And how we can best get the best possible antioxidants uh, from our food or other sources that are certainly a lot safer than most of the... uh, Vitamins that people will buy off the shelf of a health food store, for example, or, or another whole food place. So would you, would you outline the uh, effects of antioxidants and, and the, the body's system of antioxidants and why they are important to our health?
3: Um, people often talk about the body's innate antioxidant system. And uh, they usually refer to the glutathione in cells and the um, enzymes that reduce glutathione when it has been oxidized. And uh, uh, superoxide dismutase uh, and uh, catalase uh, are considered to be uh, at the center of our own antioxidant system with uh, uric acid uh, as a, a circulating major a- a protection against free radicals and
0: that's that's interesting can i hold you there for a second now because i uh uric acid is something that i i was always uh, led to believe was a cause of gout and that uh is that true enough um it's involved it
3: being antioxidant it's also uh, involved in protecting against inflammation because inflammation involves uh, things that are uh, thought of as a uh, oxidative damage okay. uh, uh, molecules get oxidized and and changed uh, and so uh, even though uric acid is probably defensive against inflammation it um, tends to eventually uh, get crystallized in the process of of defending against the inflammation and so uh, you often find uh, crystals of uric acid right. in In an inflamed joint, but uh, people can have uh, crystals of uric acid in the tissue with no symptoms at all, and uh, symptoms like gout can occur without the uh, crystals, and crystals of phosphate are probably more common in gout than uric acid crystals, but without analyzing them, uh, people consider them to be uric acid.
0: So it's more the inflammation that someone would have anyway, whether it was in soft tissue or joint, that uric acid would come onto the scene to be an antioxidant that then typically associates uric acid with gout.
3: Um, yeah, apparently, uh, because it is uh, considered our, our main, uh, quantitatively our main antioxidant defense. Okay. inside cells, uh, glutathione is considered because it's the reductant that uh, can... Uh, block a lot of oxidative molecules,
0: yeah, and you and you mentioned superoxide dismutase.
3: Yeah, and um, recently uh, some studies of of roundworms and aging have found that uh, superoxide uh, double dose uh, actually might shorten their their longevity, and uh, a lot of things are being reconsidered in in recent years regarding superoxide for example um, in the ionized air effect in which uh, uh, negative air ions have uh, anti-inflammatory effects Mm -hmm. it turns out that superoxide which many people think of as as one of the worst oxidants it happens to uh, be produced when we breathe negatively ionized air Mm -hmm. And it's produced in the lung, and the lung is the main place where serotonin is detoxified and destroyed, and serotonin is destroyed in the lungs uh, under the influence of superoxide
2: so is this why they say if you walk along a, a seashore and there's breaking waves, you have a there's a release of negative ions and it's supposed to help your lungs
3: um Uh, Yeah. Especially for
2: asthmatics, it's supposed to help. Is that because it's lowering the serotonin in their lungs?
3: Uh, Yeah. There's a series of papers uh, done in Poland uh, that call it the uh, serotonin irritation syndrome. And uh, they're the ones that um, concluded about a 20-year series of studies showing that the ions are helping to destroy serotonin in the lungs. Hmm. Okay. So the, the serotonin or the superoxide dismutase that destroys superoxide, uh, that has been thought of as, as a defense against this, uh, this uh, free radical. But uh, we don't necessarily just want to increase that antioxidant because sometimes it's involved with making inflammation worse if we uh, get rid of too much superoxide.
2: So when you hear this research coming out with, oh, this new antioxidant has been discovered, we have to look into it a little bit more because it could be um, counterproductive to have too much of some of these wonderful antioxidants.
3: Yeah, the advertisements often say uh, this chemical is 100 times better antioxidant than vitamin E and so on, but uh, that doesn't mean that it's going to be safe in the body uh, because vitamin E fits into this system of uh, superoxide and glutathione and vitamin C, uric acid, and so on, in a very tightly organized system. And uh, if you put in something that's 100 times more active against uh, oxidants or free radicals in vitro, you uh, really don't have any idea what it's going to do in the body. Uh, the um, main plant substances that are now being called antioxidants, uh, most of them are polyphenolic compounds. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are, uh, there's almost a hundred percent overlap between the polyphenolics uh, as antioxidants and the polyphenolics as estrogens. Huh. And uh, third, I was just thinking about that. Overlap and uh, how thirty or forty years ago, these same chemicals were classed together as tannins, hmm. and uh, fifty hmm. or sixty years ago, the, someone had discovered that the tannins helped to seal the skin of a, right. a burned uh, person.
0: That's right. I remember that being called an eshgar The uh...
3: yeah, uh, to sort of uh, prevent the seepage, and uh, after doing that for. 20 or 30 years they started seeing that it was a carcinogen Wow! so in the 70s tannins were identified as very effective carcinogens wow. some of them injected into animals produced oh,
0: okay well I wonder if the same I'm sorry I don't mean to hold you up because the train of thought where you're going I don't want to lose it but the uh, tannins when they're used intravenously I can understand but what do you think about topical use of tannins because that was pretty big in herbal medicine school when we were studying
3: well, Uh, Yeah, that's what turned up in the 70s, that these people who had been treated topically for burns Uh were getting uh, Uh skin cancers, cancers in the area treated.
2: So can you list some examples of these polyphenols or these tannins that are associated with increasing estrogen
3: Um, and carcinogens? It's almost an endless series, but the the famous ones are elagic acid and gallic acid. Those Mm -hmm. are the old... Year from
0: year
2: right? From like oak, oak bark.
0: Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, I always thought of the phenolics as very, in a classical sense, very heating and drying. Um, they were very hot kind of substances.
3: Um, yeah, they have many uh, many variations on their effects, but uh, it was just interesting that the, the very same substances that are now called uh, antioxidants and estrogens wow. used to be thought wow. of as tannins. Wow.
0: Okay, so the background from which they've come has, uh, has changed considerably, and now it seems that the, uh, the industry is calling them yet another uh, compound that can be marketed to, pe- for, to people uh, to help them in their, uh, in their quest for the antioxidant effect that they've been warned they need so much.
3: Uh, yeah, vitamin E is the um, famous uh, oldest uh, sold antioxidant uh, supplement, but it was when it was first discovered, it was uh, uh, called the fertility vitamin, and uh, it was sold to increase virility and fertility and so on, but uh, the uh, shoot family in the 1930s uh, found that it not only uh, made infertile women more fertile, uh, by analogy with what my professor did uh, 20 years after that, but he was doing it uh, clinically. and. He, he knew that uh, these women with uh, excess estrogen who were infertile often suffered from blood clot diseases, uh-huh. uh, venous clots, and uh, sometimes embolisms in the lung and strokes and so on. And uh, he found that vitamin E not only made them fertile by antagonizing the estrogen, but it prevented the clotting problems. Uh-huh. It showed very clearly its anti-clotting effect, was part of its uh, anti-estrogen effect. And since the, uh, the estrogen had also, during that same period of about 15 years up to 1940, it was uh, known to intensify the uh, uh, effects of unsaturated fats in in oxidizing. It catalyzed their conversion into... Uh, age pigment uh, interacting with iron and unsaturated fat, so it was uh, an oxidant, a, a, a clot former, uh, an anti-fertility substance, wow. and uh, pro-inflammatory. And uh, as the um, oil industry uh, began uh, promoting their their um, seed oils. First, for animal, uh, uh, fattening animals, they were adding it to lab uh, chow and such for uh, research animals. Uh, It turned out that the animals were suffering from degenerative uh, brain diseases Mm -hmm. and uh, testicular degeneration. Mm -hmm. And uh, someone found that vitamin E uh, connected, uh, apparently they were thinking of it as the profertility a vitamin to protect against the testicular destruction, and they found that it did, in fact, protect against the, the toxic effects of the unsaturated fats, and uh, this was uh, a very sudden shift away from vitamin E as the anti-estrogen, and it started being called the antioxidant, protective against the breakdown of the unsaturated fats uh, but
2: then uh, you were saying they added iron to the to the animal's feed and then they stopped seeing the beneficial effects of the vitamin E, correct?
3: Yeah, for, um, for several years um, they, they found that the uh, apparently uh, supplemented feed no longer cured the uh, brain degeneration and uh, Found that the vitamin E was being destroyed right in the the product by the presence of iron but the same thing happens in the organism Uh, vitamin E and polyunsaturated fats uh, are uh, very interactive and pro-oxidative but uh, the the industries both the estrogen industry and the seed oil industry uh, found that this was a way to distract The public from thinking of estrogen and the unsaturated fats as being dangerous, because if um, vitamin E was just protecting against oxidation, then all you needed was fresh oil and vitamin E uh, to prevent uh, the breakdown of the oil, and uh, they suppressed the idea that but vitamin E was an anti-estrogen, anti heart mm. yeah, right. <coughs> drug for about 40 years.
2: And this made me think about prenatal vitamins when a woman is exposed to much higher estrogen levels. I know eventually it's also much, much higher progesterone levels. But prenatal vitamins have a large dose of iron and large dose of uh, vitamin C, like we were also talking about, that, that gets destroyed with iron as well.
3: Um, yeah, and that's analogous to something that happens inside the cell during stress. If you're overloaded with with iron, when your cell uh, can't use oxygen properly, uh, any reductant, including vitamin C, will react to turn the um, highly oxidized iron into the partly reduced form, ferrous iron, right. uh, in which case that that iron then becomes a a major oxidant uh, transferring its electron to fats and proteins, DNA, and so on. And uh, uh, about 10 years ago, a free radical researcher uh, put some uh, vitamin C. First, he started with a 500-milligram commercial tablet uh, dissolved in a liter of distilled water and found it produced a terrible intensity of free radicals. So then he he got the purest reagent grade available, and the same thing happened. Hmm. And he analyzed it and found that there were several heavy metals in it, (laughs) but since he knew about iron's effect, he uh, used just a very small trace of iron, uh, not adding any of the other oxidants, but found that that amount of iron was, in fact, enough to uh, just turn the commercial ascorbic acid into a a powerful
0: oxidant now this this obviously happens in people's bodies and when they take ascorbic acid which is a form of vitamin c we see most often available in pills of vitamin c and obviously iron is prevalent in everybody's body um
2: and in and and in a lot of foods
0: yeah and in varying degrees so this this kind of thing or in
2: a multivitamin when it's combined together
0: yeah so this is this is the same thing that's happening essentially and go ahead yeah, this chemist said, isn't it amazing that this
3: amount of free radicals you would think would kill anything, <laughs> but he said it shows what amazing defenses our stomachs and intestines must have wow. to survive taking the ascorbic acid. Wow,
0: wow. And I know in this country, too, I'm not putting any blame down. <laughs> I'm just saying that there seemed to be a, a kind of cultural trend towards mega-dosing. It's not something I was... Uh, uh, I wasn't familiar with it when I first came here but um, you know doses of five and five or more grams of vitamin c a day was not uncommon
3: <laughs> um, yeah Linus Pauling uh, pointed out that a goat that weighs as much as a person uh, would uh, be producing about 4,000 milligrams of vitamin c a day okay and uh, I had been taking large amounts of vitamin c and okay. it was reacting badly to it, having a cough and, and very chronic, serious symptoms, and mm-hmm. so I stopped taking it, and after I hadn't taken it for a while, I wondered how much vitamin C I was be putting out in my urine every day, and just on a, an ordinary diet at that time, including Uh, bread and potatoes and things that Mm -hmm. you don't think of as having any vitamin C. I was still putting out 3,000 milligrams a day consistently, Uh, and that got me interested in where the vitamin C was coming from. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. It turns out that uh, meat, for example, is extremely rich in dehydroascorbic acid, dehydroascorbate, and uh, that is... uh, not measured they measure the reduced form ordinary ascorbic acid when they analyze foods and so they're they're simply not looking at the major uh, form in food most of the foods are uh, have more ascorbic acid than the analysts show and, and it's functioning in the cell as an oxidant and that's how it's having the, a major part of its protective effect because um, when something goes wrong with the oxidative system okay. if you just uh, turn off the blood supply for example okay. uh, uh, the uh, the outcome of, of a temporary heart arrest for example uh, if you get the blood restored you have great oxidative damage done yeah. from the lack of oxygen wow. and uh, if you have a temporary shut off of the blood supply uh, so that the oxygen isn't uh, processing the, the fuels in the cell, the electrons uh, that are coming from fat and sugar and protein being uh, metabolized, mm-hmm. uh, these electrons will uh, essentially escape and uh, do random damage. But the presence of the oxidative dehydroascorbate in the cell functions as a substitute for uh, oxygen for a mm-hmm. short time mm-hmm. and uh, it soaks up these random damaging electrons uh, being turned back into ordinary ascorbic acid which then becomes water soluble leaves the cell
2: right. Wow so there's a, a huge amount of this form of vitamin C that it has, plays an extremely important role in our physiology and when the food analysts have looked at levels in food, they're just not even looking at this level. So they say all these foods that contain a form of vitamin C do not contain any vitamin C. Yeah.
1: So it's, it's another wow.
2: like black is white wow. kind of story.
1: And yeah.
3: People who don't eat a significant amount of, of bread, uh, pasta, and beans will typically consume in their other foods 3,000 to 4,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day or, M- or equivalent.
0: Huh? And this is in the form of fruits or? Um, um, fruits, meats, fruits, milk. Yeah, fruits, meat, and milk. Fish. Wow. wow, Wow. Okay, Dr. P, I'd like to hold it there for a moment because uh, we have a caller on the line, so we can uh, run this caller through and then we can carry on unless there's any other callers. And we, uh,
2: we want to come back and talk about the food, oh, we um, food sources of vitamin C in of the course. supplements when they well, say they're food-based.
0: Yeah, we want to mention lots of different things. So let's just take this next caller. Hi, you're on the air? Yeah, you're on the air.
4: Oh, hi. Um, I thank you all so very much for doing this. Um, I I have a question a little bit off topic, very off topic. It's about milk. (laughs) Okay. Um, Dr. Pete, I know how much of a proponent you are of milk drinking, even as a a primary protein source. And I was increasing my milk drinking um, sort of after your example. And then I came across a paper titled "How Milk Causes Osteoporosis." Are you aware of that paper
3: uh, yeah there there's a almost an organization of anti milk people and uh, that's one of their worst publications it it just doesn't it, it's uh, uh, the um, everything about it is uh
0: Unscientific, probably, huh?
3: Mistaken, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well,
4: is. I know it does, uh, the prefacing remarks or sort of their foundational statements talk about the prote- protective effects of estrogen. Now, I understand that, that you don't agree with that. And well, there's I, so much evidence I, 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 I'm to I'm tending toward your reasoning. Um, but the thing that kind of gave me pause was when they... Um, uh, um, paralleled the high bone density of the people in, you know, um, countries where they drink a lot of milk and the correlated um, high rates of osteoporosis. And that, I mean, can you say anything, uh, address that at all?
3: Um, Yeah, um, much of it is the lack of vitamin D in those countries. Uh, If you compare someone in Vietnam who... Eats maybe uh, 600 milligrams of calcium from vegetables, and someone in in Sweden who uh, might might get 2,000 milligrams from milk and cheese. Uh, there, the people in Vietnam uh, are outside a lot, getting sunlight and vitamin D, and uh, their diet is rich in magnesium and uh, other nutrients. But uh, A lot of the, since milk production is high in the high-latitude countries, uh, uh, part of that effect that uh, some people talk about is the uh, lack of vitamin D.
2: So it's a lack of vitamin D in the northern hemisphere that's causing the osteoporosis, even amongst milk drinkers. But having said that, 2,000 milligrams of, of calcium a day, you have to drink almost a half a gallon of milk a day to get that. And I mean...
3: Yeah, I, I don't know if get... you
2: know any Swedish people that drink half a gallon of milk a day, but I certainly um, don't know any myself.
3: Well, uh, that's the amount that I consider to be protective against uh, high blood pressure and, and uh, heart disease and such. But uh, for the bones, a uh, thousand to twelve hundred is, is probably an acceptable amount. Do- and, uh...
4: Doctor, do you um, do you? So there's no truth. There's no accuracy to their claim that essentially we have a finite number of osteoblasts and we use them up?
3: Um, no. Uh, the, um, did I state that clearly enough
4: for the audience? What was that? Yes, you did. Did I state did. that clearly enough for the audience?
3: I, I couldn't understand that. Yeah.
4: Oh, I'm sorry. We for do. the sake of the people listening that didn't read this uh, paper, did I state that clearly enough?
3: Oh, oh i yeah, I think so. The, uh, the osteoblasts are regenerating, being renewed. So there's there's no finite population. Right.
2: Right. I mean, that's not even normal medical science to say that there's a finite population of osteoblasts and osteoclasts. They're constantly you're constantly breaking down bone and constantly building bone. And another point about the osteoporosis is that when they do these bone mineral density scans, it's not actually looking at the health of the bone or the protein structure. It's just looking at the minerals through an X-ray, and it's not looking at the overall picture of the health of the bone. So it's not an accurate way to determine someone's health of the bone. It shows a a part of the picture.
3: But when when you look at a a population uh, that's similar in other ways, The difference between milk drinking and not milk drinking corresponds to uh, strong bones and weak bones or or smaller bones. And uh, animal experiments really are the the clearest way to understand medical issues. But um, whenever a medical uh, doctrine chooses to um, sell a product that that, uh, conflicts with the animal studies—they say we can't go by anything except double-blind human clinical studies. Uh-huh. Much of medicine is is based on animal studies, and, and they're a, a perfectly valid way for most
0: issues.
4: I won't uh, monopolize the conversation, but I thank you so much.
2: Bye bye now. Thank you very much yeah. for your call.
0: Thank you for your call. Well, Okay, just want to remind people again you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. And uh, from now until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's topic of antioxidants. We're very pleased to have Dr. Raymond Pete with us. Um, the number is 923 3911, or if you live outside the area, 1800 KMUD RET. Excuse me, RAD. Okay, so Dr. Pete, going back to um, vitamin C, I think it's probably the vitamin that most people recognise um, as antioxidant and health promoting, especially for colds and coughs. They market it for flu and that kind of thing, and it's kind of very much promoted in the winter time. Can I just uh, ask you about um, experiments that were done uh, with ascorbic acid that were kind of would make you would make you uh, shy away from it? I know you mentioned the um ascorbic acid itself is pretty damaging uh and is not the kind of form that you would find in foods and the form that you would find in foods from uh, meat uh and uh, f- fruits etc is certainly more suitable and the iron that most bodies contain and or foods contain is very harmful in its own right as a uh, a free radical that this uh, the damage that's caused by it is a lot more than is to be avoided by taking a vitamin for it. Um, you know what? There's actually a caller on the air. So let's take this caller before we go too much further with that. I'll, I'll try and hold that thought. Sorry. <laughs> you caller, you're on the air.
5: Hi, um, I'm calling with a question about uh, diabetes. Um, I am newly uh, diagnosed with diabetes. I'm 68. Um, I mean, 67. I guess I feel older already. Um, my question is, uh, is a restricted calorie diet helpful? And um, another question, another issue I wanted to bring up was an article I read in the uh, science section of the New York Times a couple weeks ago uh, Entitled High Stress Can Make Insulin Cells Regress. It said, in mice with type 2 diabetes, the researchers showed that beta cells that had lost function were not dead at all, most remained alive, but in a changed form. They reverted to an earlier developmental progenitor state. So I'm thinking maybe there's that would lead to some kind of treatment. But anyway, I'm trying to get on top of it and trying to control it with diet if I can and not being very successful. So I wondered if, um, Dr. Pete, if you had any suggestions?
3: Um, Yeah, the um, cells can uh, replace themselves in several different ways, and that thing of regressing and and re-differentiating is one way, but uh, a well-established way is that the alpha cells in the pancreas uh, are converted steadily into beta cells. And so you can completely kill off all of the beta cells by eating too much unsaturated fat, for example, and have uh, supposedly the the type 1 diabetes in in which you're not making any insulin. Uh, Mm -hmm. But uh, if you stop killing the beta cells, the alpha cells uh, are known to be able to uh, replenish them, but the stimulus and the defense uh, to keep the replacement going from the alpha cells is sugar,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and uh, that's uh, just what
2: uh, diabetics uh, avoid. Yeah. So for our listeners, unsaturated fats include all of those vegetable oils that are liquid.
5: Yes, I have read some of uh, your articles, Doctor Pete, and I've been omitting that from my diet and using coconut oil. Um, and but um
2: so and it, and it can take up to four years for you to replace all of your polyunsaturated right. fat cells with a saturated fat cell.
3: Uh, you've probably seen some of the news about uh, a hundred year old study uh, they used to use aspirin to cure diabetes, and uh, in the last year, there have been some articles uh, commenting on that and uh, hmm. uh, confirming that it, it in fact Uh, helps you handle uh, glucose fairly quickly to lower your blood glucose. And uh, aspirin happens to be a a very powerful antioxidant of a a safe kind Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, prevents the uh, the, uh, excess electrons uh, from things such as polyunsaturated fats Destroying cells such as the beta cells, so the, the aspirin is not only intensifying your ability to immediately use uh, glucose, but it's also protecting against the uh, any of the residual, all the unsaturated fats that are still stored in your body.
5: And if you eat'd you- like three hundred twenty-five milligrams a day, or or
3: um, do you re- uh, some people take uh, that much with each meal to get their blood sugar down but if you're taking that much it's important to take vitamin k uh, since that uh, the only serious side effect of of, uh, too much aspirin is uh, that it can make you have a bleeding predisposition
2: so if if you take more than one baby aspirin a day you need to take one milligram of vitamin k with with each standard aspirin type of 325 milligrams and that is um, equivalent. And if you see in the health food stores, you'll see that they can come in micrograms. So that would be 1,000 micrograms of vitamin K with each aspirin tablet. With each 81
5: milligram or with each 325?
2: With each 325. If you take oh. more than 80 milligrams, then you need to supplement. I mean, 90 milligrams is baby aspirin. You need to supplement with vitamin K. Oh, okay.
5: Well, my my, I uh, appreciate the, the information. Um But what about, I've heard that sometimes people go on a very restricted calorie diet. I heard about like 600 calories a day with some liquid stuff and starchy vegetables had caused some people who had diabetes less than four years to have the condition. This was a Dr. Oz report. And I've heard just other stories of people, is that like give your pancreas a big rest? And if you're not eating a lot or is eating small meals good? I mean, how do you...
3: Tamper your pancreas. Um, some of the um, low low calorie uh, diets were analyzed, and uh, uh, the, um, I think the uh, person doing some of these studies was named B P U uh, Y U. He found that uh, if you simply reduced the polyunsaturated fats, but kept the calories the same, you got the same uh, protective effects as a very low calorie intake. Uh, when you're reducing your calories uh, to the bare minimum, you burn the um, polyunsaturated fats uh, for energy, and they don't get loose to do the damage. But, uh... Oh,
5: really? So, that's it. so if you didn't have a lot of polyunsaturated fats in the first place, it wouldn't matter if you ate normal-sized meals, but if you... Are eating polyunsaturated fats, small meals, somehow be dangerous. burn it up? Yeah. Burn up the polyunsaturated fats?
3: Yeah, yeah. People who have a high metabolic rate aren't hurt so much by the polyunsaturated fats because they burn them for energy.
5: Oh, so aging might be maybe your metabolic rate kicks down and you're not taking care of them so well, and that could uh, yeah, be the, a factor. The, the PUFA. Uh, yeah. Fats,
3: um, it, inhibit your thyroid function and block your oxidative metabolism, Mm -hmm. uh, allowing the uh, free radicals to get loose and damage things, so you get a progressive destruction of your ability to oxidize food. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you become more and more susceptible to uh, those things that you get old.
5: Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much. I appreciate being able to... um talk to you and you're being generous with this information so um, thanks a lot I'm on a learning, steep learning curve. <laughs> so thank you very much.
3: Thank you very much thank for your you call. Cool. Um, <laughs> in, in one of my articles about a year ago I mentioned uh, some studies that were done in Paris about 1860 and then in England uh, in which uh, some very serious uh, diabetes cases, people who were uh, basically had only two or three months to live. They were wasting away so fast, uh, putting out almost a pound of sugar in their urine every day at the expense of their body tissues. And uh, the uh, these two doctors uh, cured their patients by giving them as much sugar in their diet as they were losing in their urine. And uh, uh, that... They simply uh, didn't know how to explain the cures, but they described the recovery of patients on a, uh, about 10 to 12 ounces of sugar added to their diet every day. And uh, more recently, uh, people have seen that fructose in particular uh, maintains the cell in a, a state of low phosphate and intense oxidative energy, and uh, chelates iron. Uh, Iron is uh, one of the major things that interacts with the uh, unsaturated fats to produce free radicals, but fructose keeps the cell oxidized, including uh, keeping the iron from from catching the uh, electrons that make it toxic, uh, and lower the the phosphate, which uh, produces inflammation.
2: And fructose is um, found in sugar. Well, white sugar is half fructose, half glucose. And also um, all fruits have a certain percentage of fructose in them, as well as glucose.
3: So the the old-fashioned sugar diet was uh, not only preventing tissue wasting, but it was uh, having an antioxidant effect in the pancreas. And the sugar was uh, an essential factor for supporting the regeneration of the beta cells
0: to produce insulin yeah cool okay our uh, engineer has a question <laughs>
1: so i have a 13 year old dog who has a wasting syndrome right now he's been just losing weight and he eats not as much as he used to but he eats a fair amount but he is literally he's close to death because he's losing so much weight should i try adding sugar to his dog food
3: yeah i have a friend who um, has been feeding his dogs uh, mostly meat uh, one of the dogs, he put on a, a mostly milk diet, and it recovered from his cataracts on the milk diet. But this other dog, he thought it was about to die. So he put a tablespoon of sugar on each of its servings of meat, and it's recovering.
2: And I've seen great results with um, recovering an injured fowl, ducks and geese, with uh, egg, milk, and sugar.
0: As a convalescent food.
2: As a convalescent food. It was Dr. Pete gave me that recipe. And then also with a goat, too. I did the same thing with a goat. And it's amazing how you can turn a blind goat into a seeing goat (laughs) and a a duck that's nearly bled to death into a a laying hen again.
1: And so you should have custard
0: if you're sick, I guess. Exactly. custard's one of the very, very foods that Dr. Pete uh, uh, maintains is... Does vanilla
1: have a medicinal effect? It's, it's quite uh, Vanilla
0: does happen
3: to be anti-inflammatory and <laughs> antioxidant.
0: <laughs> there you go.
2: I have a great recipe, Michael. I'll give it to you.
0: <laughs> great. Well, listen, i tell you what. I'll pull back my question earlier on about vitamin C. Let's move on to something different.
2: Well, I do have one more thing to go say ahead. about vitamin C. Okay. And that is when you, for those listeners who might be wanting to get a supplement and they think, okay, well, I'm going to get a food-based supplement, vitamin there's there's lots of vitamin companies that advertise that there's a solely food base it's like you're just it's concentrated food you're getting your vitamin c from but dr Pete pointed out that they can call a food-based vitamin when they take cornstarch and oxidize it with lead to produce the vitamin c so if you're having allergic reactions check your vitamins
0: yeah stop them okay so uh, dr Pete. um how about the other antioxidants that are beneficial? I know you mentioned uh, selenium. I think selenium is a, a very important antioxidant, especially with vitamin E.
3: Um, yeah, and the, uh, the selenium activates thyroid, and uh, thyroid, by uh, making the cell use oxygen and uh, consuming all of the potentially harmful electrons, Uh, Thyroid functions as an antioxidant, even though its function is to increase oxidation, Uh it it prevents the random harmful type of oxidative damage. Uh And uh, estrogen, by interfering with the uh, thyroid-activated functions, uh, estrogen uh, produces a lot of uh, reductive uh, stresses to the cell, causes water uptake, uh, uh, shifts the the balance uh, towards the um, reductants away from the oxidants. Uh, so it's like anti-vitamin uh, E in, in its effects on the cell. Well, it's
2: and, very aging.
3: And progesterone opposes those effects, working with fluoride uh, to uh, uh, keep the cell in its resting oxidized state.
0: Okay, very good. We do have another caller on the line, so let's take this next caller. You're on the air? Hello? Hi, you're on the air.
6: Hey, good. I love this show. Uh, let's get back to sugar for a minute. I've got a brother who's been 10 years sober, but he is like an, a dry drunk in a sense. And he consumes great quantities of uh, Mountain Dew and uh, ginger ale within the second ingredient besides water. is high-fructose corn <laughs> sure, syrup. Right. Uh-huh. And he works outside in the sun and sweats it out. His basic foodstuffs. Then he starts drinking it stuff in the afternoon. By the evening, he's like Dr. Dreckler and Mr. Hyde, like he used to be when he was drinking uh, booze, you know? Uh-huh. So um, he's getting to a point where he's getting. Um, they have uh, a, another syndrome they've identified on the air about uh, people like him who have the warrior gene and the intermittent outbursts, uh, like a eruption over uh-huh. nothing uh-huh. make things into things and then react to them. Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, um, he just um, yeah, go ahead.
6: And the sugar seems to me to be feeding it. Because it um he gets wired the same way he used to do when he drank. Hmm. And he's Was one he... step away from picking up a lamp and hitting him. In fact he's <laughs> a couple of times on me done this and uh, it doesn't seem to be to me too funny when it happens but just talking about it seems weird but he's doing it and he did it he's acting wo- out you know I, what I mean I,
0: I wonder if it's uh, not, it's probably not so much even the high fructose concert but probably the other products within those kind of drinks that and the, por- the
3: deficiency of other nutrients
0: yeah, yeah I was, was
2: going to ask you Is he just drink these sugary drinks and not eat any protein or oh no facts? he'll
6: do that but then he'll have eat three candy bars <laughs> and uh, pour a bunch of ice you know in, in a big 16 ounce thing drinking the you know, ginger ale and stuff, and then he just keeps doing that until he's saturated with this stuff.
2: Well, he could be just very deficient in protein and other B vitamins.
6: I don't know. Intermittent explosive disorder is what they've got. There's a terrific NOVA on this, but I think the sugar and the alcohol, because the molecule is similar, you know what I mean, uh, is doing something there. Have you
3: ever been to an AA meeting where people just drink lots of coffee with a lot of sugar in it? Um, actually, the, the sugar and the alcohol have almost exactly opposite effects on the cell, contrary to a famous video.
6: (laughs) The alcohol itself versus the sugar itself?
3: Um, Well, fructose in particular is um, almost an absolute defense against the cellular damage done by ethyl alcohol. Uh, So if a person is being poisoned by ethanol, you can pretty pretty well... uh, Counteract the damage with uh, fructose. But fructose, oh, he's in, pre-diabetic. He wrote me a,
6: a couple of years ago saying he was pre-diabetic, but he's acting like he's got the, I don't know if you saw this or not, but you should if you have it. Nova, this week, has a terrific thing on can science stop crime. It's about a half hour long, and they talk about all this stuff. MAOA, a gene works in the brain cells to regulate levels of neuro. Um, activity and a third of the population has the men have um uh this uh, warrior gene you know but it doesn't always come out in fact the researcher had it their gene but and the and the scan they did brain scans on these people and the, the researcher himself did and he had it too but so there's environmental factors if you were abused as a child uh didn't have a lot of friends or whatever it can bring it out the loner type of thing you know what i mean and but yeah, I think the sugar is driving a lot of it in the evening, especially. So you got
3: no comment about that? No idea. Um, it, that idea has been around as long as I have. Uh, the uh, it got a big boost in the 50s with the uh, the publicity for the fat-based uh, uh, damage to the uh, circulatory system and uh, the reaction. No, it was the fructose, not the fat, which is poisonous. And uh, one of the uh, subdivisions of that school of thought is that uh, the uh, sugar is addictive, and if you stop eating it, you have withdrawal symptoms. Another aspect is that it it shifts the balance of the brain transmitters uh, as part of the uh, addiction process. But uh, I think that's about it, you know kidding, but uh, a lot of those um, things those theories are are done by very limited uh, laboratory groups uh, pushing an ideology, for example, uh, they have a particular doctrine about what serotonin does to behavior, and uh, contrary to the what you can see in dogs and other animals in which uh, aggressive dogs have high serotonin, and if you lower their serotonin, they become peaceful. Really, uh, contra- contrary to studies like that, uh, the publicity is saying that serotonin is the drug of, of peace and tranquility, and that you need to raise the serotonin, and that uh, uh, sugar uh, spoils that effect, and so on.
2: So I don't think th- I don't think those. Those uh, judgments about sugar causing a alcohol-like syndrome are very accurate or very scientifically based, I think is what Dr. Pete's trying to say.
6: Oh, I agree with you there. I'm just saying that he the sugar that he used to eat before and then now as well, and it's just feeding something inside of him because he gets reactive. It's almost like he's high. Well,
2: it sounds like he might have some other nutritional deficiencies.
6: Okay. Well... Put it on the air
3: if you've got okay. any news about it. I'd like to know, because I'm about ready to kick his ass. <laughs>
6: you know I, mean? I don't want
3: to do that. that. Magnesium okay. deficiency often goes with uh, uh, having a, a reaction to a certain food, uh, simply because th- those drinks don't have any magnesium to speak of. And right. without magnesium, then your brain transmitters uh, leak out and get out of balance. So a magnesium supplement would be something for him to try. Yeah. I'll stop doing the other stuff. <laughs> you know what I
6: mean? Yeah. Anyway, thanks a lot. I appreciate you talking to me about it. It's uh getting to be a violent thing in the family and, uh, I'm his older brother and it's on me, you know? So well,
2: thank you very much for your call.
0: Thank you. Bye. Okay. Thanks for listening. Okay. Well, it is uh five to eight now, so not too sure we're going to have any more callers for sure. Um, so, Dr. Pete, um, just want to say, go ahead. Okay,
2: before we wrap this up, I just want to mention something about vitamin E, Dr. Pete, that you had mentioned. It's important if people are going to be supplementing with vitamin E, and it's especially important if people are eating PUFA fats, polyunsaturated fatty acids, that are found in pork and chicken and fish, and/or eating vegetable oils or fried food. A vitamin E supplement is. Um, much more needed by the body, and it's important to get a mixed tocopherol, not just the D-alpha tocopherol.
3: Yeah, the D-alpha was the antioxidant, but they suppressed the uh, information about the the complete vitamin E, which related to uh, preventing clots and, and tumors and estrogen symptoms and so on.
2: So a vitamin E supplement might be safe, but a vitamin C supplement definitely isn't?
3: Uh, No, you can get as much uh, vitamin C as as your body can use just from foods.
0: Okay, so to uh, sum up again, and uh, for those people that are listening, uh, I know Dr. Pete's a very strong proponent, and rightly so, uh, of saturated fats rather than the polyunsaturated fats and that uh, yet again there's another way of supporting your health uh, with foods principally um, and avoiding the polyunsaturates that are so linked to thyroid suppression and all the negative effects of that. And so, aging. And aging. I know you mentioned, very quickly, you mentioned that lipofushkin, that's uh, age pigment, uh, being that a productive effect of free radical damage and uh, low thyroid. Do you do you think that's a very quick question? But do you think that is a uh, uh, a good gauge of how much uh, stress someone is under cellularly if they have a lot of age spots?
3: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. If if you can see them on the skin, you're getting them in in your brain and right. other organs.
0: Uh huh. And it's dietary. Um
3: yeah, and yeah. Uh, if they're fairly new, uh, vitamin E and even uh, other things uh, can reverse it fairly quickly. Right. I, I've seen progesterone and vitamin E and even a tiny bit of vodka <laughs> can help to uh, remove them.
0: Okay. Thanks so much for your time. I know we've only got two minutes left, so I want to make sure that people can access your website and find out more about you. So thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Pete. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So Dr. Raymond Pete's uh, website is www.rayray p-e-a-t dot com and on his homepage uh, there are probably something in excess of 50 uh, fully referenced scientific articles on many subjects and well worth a read because you'll find a very different opinion about things that you perhaps have believed from the media so I very much encourage you to go and check his website out Uh, also uh, he has approached uh, people have approached him through his website as well for his uh, for his time and his uh, opinion on various medical matters. So uh, a great resource, and I'm always very pleased to have Dr. Pete sharing his wisdom with us. So until next month, when the uh, clocks will go back, and it'll be dark and winter's going to be coming, thanks so much for tuning in and listening to Ask Your Ob Doctor.
2: My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray.
0: My name's Andrew Murray.
1: And support for KMUD comes in part from Golden Dragon medicinal syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon medicinal syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water soluble. Information is available at at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. It is 7:59. Ah. Eight o'clock by the time you hear this, and that means Basstoberfest is just starting up the material. It's only ten dollars. There's food, there's drinks, there's dessert, there's rock and rave music, and all sorts of beautiful people. So I hope to see you there. It's K-M-U-D, Garberville, 91.1 FM, K-M-U-E, Eureka Arcade 88.1 FM, K-L-A-I, Laytonville, 90.3 FM, and on the web at dot org. Cousin Mark is in the house, so get ready to get funked up.
2: Remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive.